this psalm is about the Lord. It's about the purpose of God and the suffering of Christ. It's about the perfect will and purpose of God. Those that turned against Him, those that hated Him without a cause. It's about His sufferings and how the man, verily man, verily God, that means truly man, truly God, that teaches us that He is all man and all God. He's in all God. We could not kill Him. We did not have the power to kill Him. He laid His life down and He raised it up again. But He is also all man. He felt the mental anguish. He felt the sufferings of the nails in His hands and feet. He felt the suffering of the lashes upon His back. He felt the betrayal of His own who left Him. And the psalmist David is telling us about the sufferings of Christ even though it is His passion and was His passion from the realm of eternity to save His people from their sins and to present Himself as a sacrifice to God in heaven as a Lamb of God to save them. It also teaches us of the sufferings that this man had. And as we go through this, remember the suffering and the purpose of God in it. And what He accomplished in His demise as was talked about when he, when Moses and Elijah, Elias appeared with Him upon the mountain of transfiguration. He begins, My God, My God. The man Christ. God, He is. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit, which caused Mary to conceive and bring forth a child. Therefore, He is God in the flesh. God manifest. Justified not in, but by the Spirit of God, the things that He did showing that He is God. He was God before He came here. He was God while He was here. He was God while He hanged upon the cross and came forth from the tomb. He's still God today, sitting at the right hand of the Majesty on high, the man Jesus Christ. But He's also man. And I've said several times lately going through these Psalms, He was a man. Hebrews 4 teaches us He suffered every temptation that we have, yet was without sin. He felt hunger. He felt fatigue. He felt distress. He felt rejection. He felt sorrow. He hurt very badly emotionally and physically. And again, all these things He bore were due unto us by our sin and our existence of sin. Yet He bore them for us that we would be saved from them. 
I say all that to make the point that even though He is God, that the man, Jesus Christ, worshipped God the Father as His God. My God and your God. He made that statement when He was in the garden. He prayed to the Father, If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. In great anguish of spirit so much, He sweated so much, His sweat dropped to the ground as as drops of blood. They were not blood. They were sweat. They did not save anyone. They were sweat. They were saved in His blood, which is a sacrifice upon the cross. But my point in all that, that God the Father is the man, the man in the flesh, Jesus Christ, God. So he is crying through this knowing full well. Remember that it was his passion. He knew from before the foundation of the world that this was going to come to pass. He knew that he was going to be born in the world in the fullness of time in the body of a man in the likeness of sinful flesh yet without sin to redeem his people. To set them free from the power of darkness the prison house of darkness, to bring them to God, atonement, at one minute, to save them from their sin. He knew this was going to pass. He knew this was going to come. But the psalm begins in the crucifixion. And shortly thereof, everything that led up from the time He prayed in the garden while His disciples slept for they were but flesh and they were I'm sure tired with all that was going on but he cries to his God knowing that full well he would do what the father sent him here to do death the death of the cross And praying, even though praying, Father, can you imagine the anguish? Can you imagine the dread of the man? I've never been in war. I know men who have been in war. I know men who have faced a likely death very many times. I can't speak for them, but I can speak through what I've been through in my career of the violent in the world. And I can tell you about anguish before things come to happen. Before knowing full well that when we do this, this very well may be the result. Christ knew full well it was His passion that He was going to die. He knew the suffering He would have. And he prayed, Father, if it be willing, let this cup depart from me. Nonetheless, not my will, but thine be done. He's asking the Lord God. I use the word asking. He's praying to the Lord God, the man, Jesus Christ. Why hast thou, 
Why has God forsaken me? I believe it's in Luke 23, the place I want to go if I can find it. And I don't see it, so I'll paraphrase. Eloi, Eloi, lama sathak benai, which means, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I've heard people try to explain this, well, the Lord didn't forsake His Son. Pardon me. This says He did. The Lord Jesus Christ Himself said it on the cross, fulfilling the Scripture. He did not forsake Him in the sense of leaving Him completely alone. He did not forsake Him and leaving Him in the grave, for He raised Him up. He did not forsake Him as suffering His body to see corruption before, because He raised that body up before it saw corruption. But in the sense of punishment for sin, in the purpose of God, that Christ Jesus was forsaken of the Father. He suffered alone. There was none to help Him. His disciples forsook Him and fled. He was betrayed of Judas. He was denied by Peter. They all forsook Him and fled. They all left Him alone. There was none to help. No, not even one. But the right arm of God brought this. The power of God in this man, Jesus Christ. Through that, He was forsaken. From the, He was crucified at the third hour. That's nine in the morning. The Jewish day began at six. From nine till noon, He hanged upon the cross. And we'll get into more of this as we go through it. It's suffering. But from noon till three, from the sixth to the ninth hour, there was darkness. There was complete, total darkness. It was as dark, I believe, as it was before the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters and God said, let there be light. There was a reason. There was a purpose. God manifesting in that darkness. And by the way, I've read in Jewish writings, I believe Josephus, where he said it was so dark that if a man placed his hand on the end of his nose, he could not see his fingers. That's how dark it was. Because the glory of God in Christ paying for the sin or sins of His people overshadowed the natural light God had created. But even a deeper reason, let me be plain and simple, 
in our sin, we were righteously separated from God. One reason. The Son, in order to bring us back to God, was separated from the Father. My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken Me? He forsook Him, and whatever happened during that three hours of darkness, it's not for us to know or it would be revealed to us, but He was separated from the Father. He could not see the Father. He could not, did not have the presence of the Father in the man's suffering is what I'm talking about upon the cross of Calvary. God did not forsake Him. He was still God, the fullness of the Godhead bodily. But the man became flesh to save our flesh. It was forsaken of God. It, there was darkness. And also, and also, that he might bear the judgment, the sorrow of judgment, which was due upon the children of God. He bore our sorrow. He bore our shame there upon the cross of Calvary. Why hast Thou forsaken Me? He knew why the Father forsook Him. It was His passion to fulfill this. It was His passion to glorify God. It was His passion that He be glorified. It was His passion to save the church, to save His people. I don't mean just the remnant of His seed here in the world. I'm talking about the entirety of the church that we talked about when we went through the book of Revelation of a mass multitude which no man can number, which no man can know. Such a great number the Father gave Him that He promised to raise up. My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? This is the man. Why art Thou so far from helping me? Because of the purpose of God, He must be forsaken upon the cross. The Father never stopped loving Him. The Father never stops loving us. The Father... in the hours of darkness, forsook His Son. Why art thou so far from helping we? He very well knew He had to suffer. And from the words of my roaring in Gethsemane, when the Lord was praying, there was not a whisper. He didn't keep it quiet. This calls it a roaring. When he prayed to the Father, he was not quietly in some place whispering to himself as we pray. I know I pray in my heart. He was, it's described as the roaring, the roaring of a lion. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Why did God not hear him? He's going to give us an answer. Why did God forsake him? He's going to give us an answer for the sufferings of Christ and the glory which would follow, the grace that came into us. Back to 1 Peter 1. Oh my God, he's giving us a reason. 
I cry in the daytime. He was crucified in the daytime. He prayed to the Father. He stood as a lamb before her shearers dumb. Isaiah 53, He answered them not a word. Very few words did He say. They took Him to Caiaphas, the high priest. They, they, they then delivered Him to Pilate. Pilate delivered Him to Herod. He went back to Herod. Very few words did He say. He cried in the daytime. But thou hearest not. God hearest not because the man that the man part the man Christ even though he knew full well that he would go on that he made covenant to go on if he made covenant with the father to save His people and suffer, that teaches me that He agreed to it. Father, Son, Holy Spirit in agreement, but the anguish and the pain and the suffering of the Christ. He prayed to the Father. And God brought Him through it. I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not in the night, seizing Him not silent. It was night when He was in the garden. Three times He prayed. Three times. Father, if it be willing, the sweat pouring off his body, down upon his knee, praying to God in heaven, sent an angel to strengthen him because of the anguish which the man felt. God cannot suffer. God does not feel anguish. God does not have pain. But the man, Jesus Christ, all God, all man, suffering and anguish, And the Lord sent an angel. Because in the way of delivering him from the suffering of the cross, God did not hear the man in the sense of avoiding that or taking that suffering away. It was the purpose of God. It was the only way to save God's people from their sins. And in that, the man Jesus Christ is glorified. Who sits at the right hand of the majesty on high? The man in the flesh, Jesus Christ. Who shall appear in Matthew 25 and 31? When the Son of Man in the flesh shall appear in His glory and all the holy angels with Him. Hallelujah. Because of this. This is the purpose of God. Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. And in the night season, and am not silent. But it was the will and purpose of God that He would die to save His people from the sins. Their sins. He, you own them, I own mine. He saved us from them. And He is glorified in that. And while we're on that thought and we go through the sufferings, think about the eternal from everlasting to everlasting love that He has for us to suffer like this. We talk about those soldiers overseas. The love they have, whether it's the love of God or love of mankind or love of freedom, whether it's country or God, they're there to help people. They're sacrificing their their lives. Seen five or six police officers killed in my time. Everybody wants to wail and demand them, and I understand that. Believe me, I truly do. There's a brotherhood that most people can't understand between soldiers or police. But like I've always said, they knew the rest when they put on the badge. They knew the rest. They put on the uniform. They're willing to take that. It is the purpose of God that Christ would lay down His life for His children. 
cried in the daytime. You forsook me. I was crucified. That Scripture might be fulfilled. He said, I thirst. Then He said, Father, into Thy hands I commend My Spirit. And He lay, bowed His head and gave up the ghost. The purpose. The suffering. Verse 3 explains that. But Thou art holy. (laughs) The righteous God of eternity. Holy, that means separate, sanctified, self-sustaining self. Everything He is, He's always been and ever will be. But Thou art holy, O Thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. You are holy. You are righteous. This is Your will. This is Your purpose. This is what I came into the world to do. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour to suffer and bleed and die and suffer. He did. For the holy God of heaven, for His purpose, O Thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Then He said, Our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the patriarchs of Israel, the tribes of Israel, the people of Israel, manifested in that day by the physical nation of Israel, Manifested today by Jew and Greek alike, Jew and Gentile alike, spiritual Israel. But the point is, He inhabits. It's due to Him in His purpose. He is revealed unto us. The man, Jesus Christ, the Son of God in the flesh, suffered greatly for His people, to save us from our nature, to save us from our sin, to save us from death, death to God and death in the grave, to save us from the wrath to come, the lake of fire by which we're due, but never possible that we see it because this covenant was made before the world ever was. Our fathers trusted in Thee. They trusted and Thou didst deliver them. They cried unto Thee. They prayed. They prayed to God. We know everyone in the nation of Israel didn't pray. We could see that in the history of the Bible. Many of them rebelled against God. They were in disbelief. Therefore, they could not enter the promised land, meaning Canaan, meaning a type of the church. That's temporally in the world. The church is temporally here, but the church is not temporal. Okay, Let me clarify what I say lest I be confusing. The church will be carried up into heaven in immortal glory. But it's here in this temporal world. They cried unto thee and were delivered because God will not forsake His people. We may not see the result of our prayer. We may never even know or understand the result of our prayer or the purpose of God But the Bible remains a fact. They prayed unto God and they were delivered. 
whether it was a temporal deliverance from an enemy, a deliverance from famine or thirst, a deliverance to, to in death itself to leave the sin, cursed earth and be with Christ immediately. There's a song we used to sing in the case. He's and I don't even remember the name of it, but it dealt completely with death. It talks about what timorous worms we mortals are, fearing to enter into death, which is the gate of life. Deliverance. We may not see it, but we know that He is a deliverer and He always delivers in His way. Back to law enforcement, military, and the things of this week, I think about, I thought about that a lot in my career. I think about it a lot today when I see the things going on. These men go over there, these young boys, they're 18, 19, 20 years old. They serve a country they love. They do it in honor of what is the old saying we used to have? God, family, country. First and foremost for God. They lay down their lives and they die and they're delivered. They are with Christ immediately. I'm not, I'm not telling you uh, making excuses or, or justifications of someone dying or being killed. I'm plainly telling you that God delivers those people. And by the grace of God, and I'm thankful for it, they take up that oath and that duty. Because the rest of us protected. The man that cleaned the carpet was a Marine, retired. Talked about the Corps a little bit. And I told him, I said, you know, the world does not understand. This is off text, but I'm going to say it. The world does not understand the value of a hard man. Well, he's mean. He's hard. He does this. He does that. Let me tell you, we live in peace. Because God uses hard men to defend us. And don't you think the Lord will forsake them? They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. They weren't confused. They trusted in God. Our fathers were delivered. I have suffered. You forsook me. The purpose of God, the will of God to save His people... You're holy, God. You're above us, above man. You inhabit the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in Thee, and Thou didst deliver them. They cried unto Thee. They were delivered and were not confounded. Now, it shifts to the Lord Himself. But I am a worm. Oh, I dropped too much. But I am a worm. Somewhere in the last few weeks we've talked about how can man and worm be just with God. We talked about the flesh made from the dust of the earth and the inside of man made from the dust of the earth and his soul coming from the breath of God which never God dies. And while we might use this here, it would be true and the sense, if we said Christ in the flesh, lowered Himself a little lower than the angels in the flesh of a man, yet without sin, for the purpose of suffering, for the purpose of death, for the purpose of redemption upon the cross. 
But let's look a little farther. John 1, He came to His own, His own received Him not. Isaiah 53, one of my favorite chapters of the Bible. We see... What was the text? But I am a worm. He in Isaiah 53 and 3, speaking of the Christ. He is despised and rejected of men. What men is he talking about? John 1. He came into his own, his own received him not. Israel was no more. The only thing left in the nation of Israel was the tribe of Judah. Those who despised and rejected Him is speaking of those in Judah. It's speaking of the Sadducees. It's speaking of the Pharisees. It's speaking of the non-elect among the Jews. Those that hated Him. And it also speaks of many of God's children taken away in deception, not knowing God, being justified in their own mind by the law of Moses and calling upon Abraham for their salvation. We be Abraham's seed, rejecting him as the Son of God. He was despised and rejected of men. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. The grief of rejection, the grief of knowing the suffering he was about to bear, the grief of suffering that. We're talking emotional. I found in my life emotional pain is far worse than physical. We hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. I'm going to mark that because I'm probably going to come back there. I am a worm. To the Jews... Christ was a worm. He had no beauty that we should esteem Him, if that's the correct word. He was not a Pharisee. He was not a Sadducee. He wasn't of the priesthood. He came from Judah. Not Levi. There's reasons for that, but not today. He was not a leader of the Romans, of the Gentiles. He was a carpenter because he was a carpenter's son. I can tell you from my lifetime, a carpenter works hard. A carpenter is to be honored for the toils of his back and the sufferings they go through in their occupation to feed their family. This man was a carpenter. These self-righteous people looked down on the ignorant and unlearned why were they ignorant and unlearned? Because they didn't give them the Scripture. They quoted it to them and told them what it meant unless they met in the synagogue and were able to take it up at that time. For I am a worm. He was despised and rejected of men. The Jews <coughs> regarded Him as such and despised of the people. What people? The Jews. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. Matthew 27, 
I'm not going to get into all this and reading it maybe. But in Matthew 27 and Luke 23 especially, we see in those two chapters where when He was crucified to the cross where the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious elite among the Jews laughed at Him. He's called upon Elias. Let's see if He will save Him. If Thou be, if Thou be, God help us, the Son of God, save Thyself. Come down from the cross and save Thyself and us. Well, I'm going to tell you, He was bound by covenant to the cross and could not and would not come down. Psalm 118, bind the sacrifice with cords to the altar. Go from there to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, according as He has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy of that blame before God the Father in love. This was what He suffered for. This was the covenant. He could not come down from the cross. But they laughed at Him. They shut out the lip. They ran their mouth. They shake the head. <clears throat> Let me be careful saying this. So many houses I've been in, so many situations in my employment when I did it, and they'd shake their head and bump it around. The Bible talks about that in several places. The pride, the vanity that leads to that. People laugh at it. Truly, they need to be laughed at in pity. This is what they did to the Lord. You're on the cross. We knew this was coming. We have placed you on the cross. We have destroyed you. You are adversary no more. We despise you. We have rejected you. You're nothing but a worm. This is the Christ. And they said, He trusted on the Lord that He would deliver Him. Let Him deliver Him. See, He delighted in Him. Let me promise you this. The Father did deliver Him. The world was dark for three hours while the Father forsook the Son, but He was not forsaken of God in any other way. God suffered Him to be hanged upon the cross. He laid His life down after fulfilling this Scripture and all of the Scriptures concerning Him. The purpose of God, the Holy God, and the salvation of His people was finished. The lamb had been slain. He laid his life down. We didn't kill him. We'll get some more of that later. God didn't deliver him. I mean, God did deliver him. That's what I'm trying to say. God delivered him from that in that he died. Remember that deliverance many times in this world as those we love die. It's the greatest deliverance in this world. He that is dead is freed from sin. We're with Christ immediately. Christ told the thief on the cross, on the right side, today thou shalt thou be with me in paradise. Deliverance. He died and was with the Lord immediately. He trusted on the Lord that He would deliver him, let him deliver him, seeing He delighted in him. And yes, He did deliver him. Delivered him from the grave, delivered him to the right hand of the majesty on high, where he forever makes intercession for his people. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Christ, speaking to the Father, thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. 
Isaiah 49. I'll just go to verse 2. I'll read the first two verses. Listen, O isles, unto me, Gentiles, Jepeth, father of the Gentiles, and hearken, ye people, from far, far off, the four corners of the earth, Gentiles. The Lord hath called me from the womb. In the realm of eternity, it was agreed that He would come forth from the virgin and die upon the cross of Calvary for the sins of those He loved. From the bowels of my mother hath He made mention of my name. God named Him in the womb. And before He was in the womb, He was named in eternity. The angel told them, Thou shalt call His name Jesus. That name means Savior. He is the Savior of the people of God. And He hath made my mouth like a sharp sword, and the shadow of His hand hath He hid me, and made me a polished shaft in his quiver hath he hid me. I'll go on down to verse 8 and we'll get back to this later. In an acceptable time have I heard thee. In an acceptable time. Answering the prayer of the Christ. In the fullness of the time when He came into the world. In an acceptable time when He paid the sin debt of the sons of God. And in a day of salvation have I helped thee, and I, the Father, will preserve thee, the man Jesus Christ, and give thee, the man Jesus Christ, for a covenant of the people to establish the earth, the church, and the world, to cause to inherit the desolate heritage that thou mayest say to the prisoners, go forth. There's the preaching of the Gospel. To them that are in darkness, show yourselves. They shall feed in the ways, and their pastures shall be in all high places. Back to the text. Where was I? But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. A lot of speculation about this. Some people say, well, as a child upon his mother's breast, he could not have known anything. I'm going to tell you something. I've learned something in my life. The older I get with all these children and grandchildren I got. The more I learn, we're a whole lot smarter when we're young than people give credit for. A child learns very quickly, even by nature. You take Maggie, she's four and a half years old, sits in my lap after she walks over there with spinal bifida. Don't tell me God can't do what He wants to. Nothing's hard for the Lord. But she runs that computer and I can't even turn it on. My point in that is talking about how smart children are by nature. And some people would tell you that children cannot know things by nature. So then therefore, he could not have had hope at that young age. Some people say he had hope when he was taught by his father and his mother. And they took him up. the temple to be cut from the tradition of Abraham. But I believe, knowing this is the Son of God, you will not convince me otherwise, 
that He was born into the world. There was something He came into the world to do. He's known that from around eternity. And when He was born into the world as a child, I believe He knew it and had hope in the work He would complete and finish in this world. Don't tell me it can't be known. Moses and Elijah had been dead for some years and they talked with Him with what He would accomplish in His demise upon the Mount of Transfiguration. This child, the Son of God, was born in the world knowing full well what He was born to do. To suffer, bleed, and die. I was cast upon Thee from the womb. He was born to die. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. This is the man in the flesh. Be not far from me. Listen to the anguish. For trouble is near. Can you just stop and close your eyes and see in your heart the anguish of the Lord and knowing He was going to be betrayed by one of His disciples? carried to the high priest, the council of the self-religious elite, self-righteous elite, slapped, beaten, taken to Pilate, taken to Herod, taken to Pilate, beaten, crown of thorns placed on his head. But remember, child of God, that's fulfilling Scripture. Remember Genesis, I believe, 22... Where God spared Isaac and the Lord provided a sacrifice and the ram was caught in the thicket. There's the Christ with a crown of thorns upon His head. God's purpose. But imagine, think about, He was there. He knew trouble is near. This is prophesying years before that in the Old Testament of the Messiah who was to come. Trouble is near. Father, help me. Nonetheless, Thy will be done. For there is none to help. There was none to help. There was none that would help. And there was none that could help. Because all that we could do was fail and die. But we were in rebellion against God. All flesh have sinned. Many bulls have come past me. Strong bulls of Bashan. Bashan was a fruitful place. They had much healthy, fat cattle, okay? And a bull is a, a strong creature. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me around. Let's give a reason why the Lord uses that. Those men who were fruitful in the Jews' religion, those who made money in religion, oh, don't we see that today? Keep my mouth. Shut about that right now. It's about the Lord. They made their living on religion. They were rich in power. 
They were rich in gold and silver and fame and their own self-righteousness. Strong bulls. They had influence. They had power. They had money. Remember talking about all this going through the Revelation and the Beast of Rome? It's nothing new under the sun. These people had beset. They compassed judgment of the Lord. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me around. People who were rich in power and glory and religion and who hated Him and who despised Him without a cause have beset me around. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion. You might hear someone talk about him being brought before the council and you may think it was like a normal court of judgment where it was all peaceful and they judged matters and they told their lies and all they did and never raised their voice. The fact remains, and Scripture testifies right here, that when they brought him before the high priest and they smote him and they hit him and they beat him and they spit upon him and they talked to him, they were not talking in a tone, civil voice. They were talking to him in shouts and yells condemning Him, accusing Him falsely and lies, hating Him without a cause. Let's fast forward to Pilate. What shall I do with this man Jesus? This man whom you call the Christ. Crucify Him! They didn't just say it. They demanded it. They screamed it. They yelled it in a rabid frenzy. The only, the only one in all that situation that was calm was Christ. Pilate was afraid. The Jews were all full of hatred like they had rabies. They gaped upon me with their mouths. He said this, he said that. As a ravening and a roaring lion. You ever seen a lion attack something on these geographic shows? How they rip and tear and roar? You could die from the terror of the beast, much less its violence of its forces. And I'm going to close with this one for this week. Verse 14. And this will bring us through the emotional trauma and anguish and bring us down into the physical anguish and suffering. I'm poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, and it's melted in the midst of my bowels. Now, there are some, in the first place when I read this, my mind went to 2 Samuel 14, 14. And I'm not going to quote it, and I'm not going to turn to it. I'm just going to give you an idea. You can run over there and see what it says. But we must needs die. Why? Because we're sinning. Whereas water poured upon the ground could not be gathered again. But God has divided means. Here are the means. Christ. <laughs> I can't let that go. Second Samuel 14. There's 13. I'm getting close. Fourteen, fourteen. 14, I thought... 
Well, maybe it's first Samuel. I don't know. I can't find it. But it says God hath devised means. Second Samuel fourteen fourteen. Oh, I'm looking in fifteen. See, don't blame it on the Lord. It's my fault. Fourteen fourteen thirteen. I got it right in the middle. It won't split. Fourteen fourteen. For we must needs die, and there's water spilt on the ground which cannot be gathered up again. Neither doth God respect any person, yet doth He devise means that His banished be not expelled from Him. That's here today. That is here in Christ. I'm poured out like water. The water brought me here, the thinking of it. But He said, I'm poured out like water. Many people say that was uh, His sweat upon Gethsemane and all the sorrow and how a man in great distress cannot stand nor walk because he's shaky. That's where this old saying, weak knees. That's where the Bible says in Isaiah, lift up the hands that hang down and strengthen the feeble knees. And I'll have that, but we'll carry it further when we come to it. But remember the purpose of the psalm. It's teaching us of the purpose of God and the suffering of the Christ, the man, Jesus Christ, and His suffering. We'll get more into that next week. Reflect on how much the Lord loves us. Sometimes you'll be in a situation, I've experienced this, where you don't want to be loved. Maybe you've said something to someone or done something to someone or said something about someone or done something that was horrible in your eyes and you feel so ashamed and you don't want to see nor hear anybody or anything. And the person or persons whom you feel like you have offended will love you and forgive you and hug your neck and kiss you on the head. That's love. Think about that when we think about our nature and how much the Lord loves us. Lord willing, we'll take up there next week.